you know, what you're talking about is, is looking back and seeing where this comes from, letting the Lord minister to you, uh, touch your heart in that area. Because I don't think he just wants us to be aware that something happened in our childhood. I think he wants us to be aware that he can touch that area of our heart, uh, that, 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 that something can change both in the event that happens today and the, the, the thing that's underneath the, you know, Jesus talked about cleaning the inside of the cup. Welcome again to the Gary Wilson Podcast. We're in part two of our conversation with Dr. Eddie Caparucci, uh, an amazing ministry dealing with sexual addiction, brokenness. He's the director of Abundant Life Counseling Center, author of many books. Let's get right into the topic today because you're going to hear some very important things. In your ministry and in your practice, you've created a, a, a way of approach to, to, to those you're ministering to, and you're, and you're calling it the inner child. Um, does, is that a um, – I'm, I'm trying to grasp that a little bit more. The, the, the way you're describing it here is there are certain events that take place when you're a child. Okay, now you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Is, uh, when you call it the inner child, is it you're just thinking about the memories of that time or uh, is that something cataclysmic that happened that has uh, affected your whole future and you have to go back and get that healed? Is that Why are you calling it the inner child? I call it the inner child because I believe each and every one of us has an inner child within us. And again, that is the place that stores all of those disappointments that we went through, trauma, neglect that we went through. And so what I do with my clients, when I work with them, and they come in and they say, okay, I'm struggling with pornography. And so the question, you know, you would ask is, so why, why do you think that porn has the stronghold on you? And Everyone says the same thing. It's like, I don't know. And I believe that if I don't know why I do something, if I don't know why I think a certain way, if I don't know why I feel a certain way, I'm just going to be, again, locked in that pattern of continuing to do it over and over. So what my client uh, embark on is a quest of self-reflection. So that they can determine why am I hardwired the way I am. So we'll take each of those children that we talked about. Like we'll just say the unaffirmed child. And again, in my book, Going Deeper, How the Inner Child Impacts Your Sexual Addiction, there's a chapter on each of the kids and how they evolved and what is the consequence. And my client will go through that uh, characteristics or, or the overview of the child and what would you then is say okay is that something that does that sting you somehow and a client may say you know what yeah I, I can remember I don't remember my dad ever saying something positive to me never you know like if I haven't even thought about that until you just bring it up now but you know what he'd never say anything positive to me and then we continue to explore deeper. We'll go through all those kids. Most people resonate with anywhere between four and six of the children. So therefore, you can see the depth of emotional pain that is sitting in that storage unit that that kid has. But then what we're going to do, Gary, we're going to go deeper. And we're going to say, okay, so let's talk about what you're doing now with pornography or acting out, you know, sexually through 
strip club, massage parlors, you name it. And what we're going to find is that there's a correlation between what they're doing sexually and those pain points that they have. For example, the idea of, you know, not being noticed. Okay, I just don't feel noticed. I didn't feel I was rejected by girls growing up throughout uh, middle school and high school. And then I got married to the first woman I met. And, you know, while we're happy, I feel, but when other women start to pay attention to me, I'm like a moth to a flame. I just can't resist them. And part of that is that their inner child who's saying, hey, yeah, we have a relationship now, but you know what? This relationship's not going to last. She's going to leave you or she's going to reject you just like everybody else does. And so now what we need to do, I have to work with him to let him understand and teach him how to quiet that kid down and to be able to realize, no, what I have here is a good thing. And I don't need the other, you know, forces that are outside my marriage to make me feel noticed. Right. How is that? How is the brokenness and the woundedness of the child you're talking about, these various type of child? How how are they healed? Is there a, is it just a, a, an awareness that that happened and they, like you said, they sit with it? Or is there other things that happen in the heart? So, so here, here's the troubling part. The kid is never healed. The kid's always there. What it is, is up to us as individuals to one, become aware of what our brokenness is, become aware of what those pain points are. Okay. Two, what are those core emotional triggers that occur today that activate that kid? And then when I know that and I'm aware of it, I can now stay one step ahead of him by going and saying, you know what? I know you're, I know you're upset because we feel rejected. But you know what? I'm not sure that's what really happened here. And then what you're going to do is you're going to start sitting with what the emotional pain, whatever that pain point is. So let's say it's rejection. The, the kid feeling this sense of rejection because of what just happened. You're feeling maybe some of it also. Again, this is adolescent and pre-adolescent thinking. And what people need to do is to slow down and they need to be able to move over to rational adult thinking. Okay, so therefore, while it may feel like rejection, is that what really happened with this event? Is that what really occurred? And in most cases, we're going to find, well, you know what? I don't have enough information. I'm not sure that's really what went on. You know, my boss walked right by me in the hallway, didn't even say hello to me today. And again, if I'm very prone to the idea if I'm sensitive to rejection, hypersensitive, I'm going to be now worried. Oh my gosh, if he angry with me, what's wrong? But again, I don't have enough information. Maybe he just in a rush. Maybe he had many other things on his mind. You know, I need to find out what that other information is and see maybe later on in the day has his mood shifted or changed. So this is what we do. We, we, we're not curing the inner child. What we're going to do if we are going to let him know, you know what? I got it. I'm not going back to your way of handling things. Because your way of handling things would just run away. I'm not running anymore. Instead, I'm going to act like an adult. 
and I'm going to process through these emotions I have. I'm going to sit with this discomfort, and then I'm going to come up with a healthy solution. Well, that's, that sounds profound, very powerful, and uh, liberating. Uh, would you mind, if you can think of one off the top of your head, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, uh, could you walk us through an example of this? Uh, maybe not specifically a, a particular person, but you know, just a, a generic kind of an idea, like um, you know, a person X walks into your office and he starts sharing his heart. Uh, can you tell us a, a, a practical right. story? Absolutely. Absolutely. So let, let's yeah. say that you, let's say you're struggling with, you know, uh, porn addiction and you have, you run across, you run in the street, uh, you have a really good friend and your friend and you, you guys had a falling out for whatever reason. You cross paths on the street and you start talking. And your friend says, hey, you know what? Maybe we need to try to see if we can get together and work this out. And you're like, great. That's wonderful. Let's get together. We'll have lunch. So you schedule lunch. The morning of lunch comes and you get a phone call from him. Hey, Gary, you know what? Something came up. I'm sorry. I can't get together with you. You know what? I will call you back. Maybe we'll reschedule. And just hangs up on you. Real abrupt. It's less than 15 seconds. And you're like, Wow, what the heck was that? That a little rude. And like, did I just get blown off? What is, what was that about? Well, so now your discomfort level on a scale of zero to 10 might be maybe a two because you're just wondering what was that about? Your kid, however, seeing that event, hearing that event, had reached into a storage unit and he pulls out a time when you were about eight, nine years old and you went down the street to Bobby's house. See if he can come out. And you knock on Bobby's door and he opens it up and there's Bobby with three of his of your friends. And you're like, what are you guys doing? And goes, that would just hang it out. Like, well, why didn't you call me? Nobody called me. They all shrugged their shoulders. I don't know. We didn't think about you. And so, you know, it's like, well, can I come in? And Bobby says, no, my mom says I can't have anybody else. And he slams the door in your face. And you go home. You got maybe tears in your eye. You wonder, what's wrong with me? How come people don't chafe me? How come I always have to go after them? You know, what's wrong? What, what's the problem? So your kid has these two things that went on. The phone call with this situation with Bobby. And he's thinking that these are the same. They're not in parallel the same, but he believes it. Your anxiety level, which was a two, has now gone up to maybe a seven or an eight because you're just feeling the more of this discomfort. Okay, this is where people then run because I don't want to sit with the pain and they're like, you know what, I'm I'm gonna go do something else and they'll go do something that may be destructive or it'll change their mood, not for the better for the better. So what are we supposed to do in this case then? Well, one we have to slow everything down. I'm feeling. And again, you've noticed that there's a lot about mindfulness in all of this. And it becomes, okay, I'm feeling, you know, more distressed than I was just a few moments ago. So that means my kid must be activated by it. Well, what, was, what were the emotions that I'm going to sit with them? What are the emotions that I felt with that phone call? Well, I felt maybe I was being blown off. I felt I was somewhat rejected. Yeah, I can, I, I can remember maybe what it felt like to be rejected when I was a kid or when I was younger. I don't like this. I don't like this at all. 
Uh, plus also the unknown. I don't know what's going to actually happen. Are we going to wind up getting back together or not as friends? So all the fear that I have. Okay, stop. All right, these are my adolescent emotions. Let me come over to what is reality. Because what you feel and what is real are usually two very, very different things. So what does reality tell me? Well, reality says he was definitely in a hurry. That that also that he, you know, just was very abrupt. But he also did say, I'll call you back. And he did say, maybe we'll reschedule. So maybe I don't have enough information to have these emotions that I'm feeling right now. So what am I going to do? And now we go to the next step, and that is make the healthy choice. Okay, see, I haven't run away. What the, but what's the healthy choice? Well, you know what I think I'll do? I think I'll give him a couple days. And if I don't hear back, I'll call him. And I'll say, hey, you want to get together for lunch? If he says, yeah, great, we're done. If he says no, then maybe I need to probe a little bit deeper to find out, hey, do you need some more time? Or are you perhaps not ready to dive back into this relationship again? And if that's the case, fine, we'll be it. So see, what I've done is I've slowed everything down. I've used rational thinking as opposed to adolescent thinking. And therefore, I have not made a bad choice of running off. Instead, I've made a healthy choice. Wow. That's such a good story. And, and uh, my mind goes two places as you say that. One is to the courage necessary. Um, so he, 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 you know, you go back to that the guy that called you and felt like he had blown you off. It takes a little bit of courage to do that because you might get rejected. But even if you do get rejected, there's something in our heart that goes like, hey, you know, he may have rejected me, but I, I, I didn't just hide. I didn't just run. I didn't just... Uh, go to some other form of uh, behavior to get the dopamine uh, stirred back up. I, 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 I confronted it, and I think that that in itself has, is is a victory. And um, you know, so and then the second thing I think I hear hear from this story is, um, and you know a lot more about this than I would, but uh, and I've read some about explicit memories and implicit memories. So so you get this phone call, and this guy, he seems like he's rejecting you, but it's you know it might be a two when you rationally think about it, but your emotions might be, why am I feeling like this is an eight? Why am I so angry and fearful? And, and why, why is my heart beating faster? Uh, to me, I think that am I off base here to say there's some implicit memories, things, you know, you may remember that time your dad said something to you, but you might just remember generally your whole childhood being, uh, you were always blown off. Your dad told you he was going to take you fishing, but he never did. Uh, your mom said she'd be home at five to cook dinner and she didn't get home till eight. And that was just repeated time and time again. So you're not actually thinking about a particular event, but you just have this implicit memory uh, you know, in the mind, in the heart of I'm the kind of person that gets rejected easily and I might as well just give up and give into it. I'm a failure. Nobody loves me. Uh, rather than realizing that that's, those are some memories that that you know, we want the Holy Spirit to deal with, but these are also some things happening today. I think that happens in marriages a lot. You know, your spouse will do something, and, and you know, this happened to my wife and I a couple of weeks ago. Um, I ended up paying more for something because she she missed a little something, 
And, and it shouldn't have been a big deal, but I really got, I got enraged. I mean, I was actually, curse words were coming up in my, I didn't say them out loud, but in my brain, I was, I was and I'm thinking, that's, but it, and then all of a sudden I, I sat with it, like you said, I said, well, now where's this coming from? And I remembered an event from my childhood where I was blamed for something that I didn't do. And, and it was, it, it was affecting that thing. So I think what you're saying is, has uh, a lot of fodder to empower to help uh, people see something more than just bootstrapping it. Or, um, you know, I remember when I was struggling with pornography, uh, I would I would look at pornography and then I'd go to prayer and I would cry and I promise I'll never do that again. Uh, that was the last time, Lord. I'm, you know, uh, you know, I don't know if you could ever love me again. You know, just all that self-loathing. And uh, you know what you're talking about is is looking back and seeing where this comes from. Letting the Lord minister to you, uh, touch your heart in that area, because I don't think He just wants us to be aware that something happened in our childhood. I think He wants us to be aware that He can touch that area of our heart, uh, that 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 something can change both in the event that happens today and the 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 thing that's underneath the, you know, Jesus talked about cleaning the inside of the cup. You know, there's something deeper inside. It's not just the, you can't just like get it rid of it on a surface level, just saying like, you know, I, I promise to never do it again, or I'm going to get in an accountability group and these guys are going to keep me, uh, you know, if, if that inside thing, and you're, I think you're calling the inside of the cup, you know, which we usually translate as being sin. But I think, you know, if we go back to Isaiah 61, uh, before, you know, the promise of the, uh, of the anointed one coming, and, and he says he's going to set the captives free, before the, the, the verse before that, it says, heals the brokenhearted. And, and I, I think that's a sequence. Uh, we're, we're trying to get set free. So I'm going to get set free by reading my Bible more. And, and as a, I remember as a young man, too, how often it, it almost caused doubt in God's goodness in my life because the Bible said, you know, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed to the word of God. So I read, you know, I would look at pornography. Then I'd say, well, I got to make up for it. So I'm going to read five chapters a day for the next week. And then I'll be in good footing with God again. And, uh, you know, so, but, so then I got mad at God because it's like, you know, you said, uh, uh, you know, if I take heed your word, then, uh, you know, I'll be cleansed. I'll be whole, and, and it didn't work. So, but I didn't realize that God was wanting me to take a deeper look at, at my, my own hurt, my own wounds, my, my own brokenness. And, and that until I do that, until I'm honest with that, uh, you know, I'm not going to be set free. And, and just one last thing, uh, in my experience with leaders, uh, particularly Christian leaders, I find a lot of us don't want to take a deeper look. We don't want to look at the inner child. As a matter of fact, I think there's some people listening to us right now that, you know, if they haven't turned it off already, they want to because there's, ah, this inner child mumbo jumbo, this psycho babble, the, you know, and a lot of these are pastors, Christian leaders who, who are saying, no, I just got to, you know, uh, I've got a call on my life and I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to think about what's behind uh, I'm going to press on and I'm going to strive and I'm going to make, you know, I've got too, I'm too busy to make, you know, important things happen in my life to, to, to that. And, and that's causing a lot of unresolved issues in their own heart, their own behavior, their own relationships with their kids and their marriages. So you're, you're facing this day in and day out. I'm, it must be delightful and, but, but also challenging for you to, uh, to see this, you know, hour after hour, people coming in with all these different situations. Uh, thank God that you're doing that. Yeah, it is definitely challenging. There's no doubt about it. But again, you know, like I said, I, I am a vessel. Okay, it is the Holy Spirit that works through me when I'm dealing with these men, and I think that's what keeps me very energized 
and doesn't allow me to get burnt down. But I want to go back to what you were saying before. See, you're talking about the second aspect of the work that I do, because it's not just about, oh, being sober, because being sober is not enough. What we need is the transformation right. of the heart. And that's what I'm looking mm. for. Because what I want, if I want to get men back on the pathway of sanctification, I want to put them back where yeah. they start to understand and view themselves the way God views them. And you were right, what you said before. I can't come out of the gate and start talking about that. Hey, you know what? You are unconditionally loved and accepted. Because they're going to be like, yeah, no, no <laughs> that's not it. Okay? And so therefore, what I have to do is walk them through all of, let them understand that, you know what? What you're doing, you're not doing it because you're just a pervert. You're not doing it because you have this disease that is eroding your brain. You're doing it because you're broken. And let me go back and show you how you got broken. Let's look at all of this. Now, these aren't excuses. This isn't now you can run to your wife and say, oh, well, you know what? I've been looking at porn or I was visiting prostitutes because, you know what? I had an attachment disorder. No, that's not it. It is, though, <laughs> I understand how I got broken. And by understanding that, that now empowers me to make real changes in my life that could be, you know, life-lasting changes. You know, like long changes that I can now be that man that God designed me to be and to be the husband and the father that you would want. So, again, that's the other yeah. aspect of all of this. It's not just about let's change the behavior, let's change the man overall. I love the fact that you're doing these things, not just as a clinician, you have experienced everything that you're talking about you 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 had the this detachment uh, situation being uh, um, avoidant uh, then then you went you know then you got into all these things that caused you know relational breakup and relational problems in your marriages uh, and then you you came out the other side and you know none of us come out the other side perfectly but but substantially um, do you mind? Uh, please say no. If it's, uh, would you mind kind of sharing your your story? Like when you say you were, you know, avoidant. Uh, do you mind talking a little bit about your upbringing and what what you went through, and then how you kind of got out of it? Well, as I shared before, my father died. My mother had a nervous breakdown. I was one of four children. I was number three. I had two older sisters who were about seven five years older, and my brother was just an infant. Um, and so my father died suddenly of a heart attack. And how old were you? I was five. Five, wow. And when my, yeah, I only have like three memories of my dad. Um, and when my, mm. when my mother had the nervous breakdown, we all got shipped out to different relatives. And like I said, I didn't know these people. So I'm in a, I'm in a new place, Gary. I don't know where mommy is. I don't know where daddy is. I don't know where these other people are who are supposed to be called my brothers and sisters. I don't know any of this. 
All I know is I'm with strangers. When you say you didn't know, didn't then and nobody told you in a sense, or you just were uncertain. Like you didn't you didn't have people sitting down with you saying, "Here's where you are. Here's what we're gonna do." So you were just you know your imagination either has to shut down or run wild. No one told me. I was dumped off. I was just dumped here. Somebody else decided they were going to raise me now. Yeah, no one told me anything. They didn't tell me about my dad dying, even though I don't, I don't even know if I would have knew what death was. Nobody told They said my mom was sick. Wow. But nobody mentioned anything about my siblings. It's like, so this goes on for a year, and then all of a sudden, lo and behold, I'm taken back, and it's like, oh, there's your mom, who I did remember. I remember mom, uh, but there's no dad. And nobody's still even telling me about dad and what happened. And now I'm surrounded by these siblings, and I don't even know who these people really are because I've been away so long. And as I said, my sisters were given the chore of watching me. And so what they did most of the time was just go in your room and play. Well, you know, we're talking about 1965. Not like I had Nintendo or cable or all the, I didn't have any, I had nothing in my room. I had a couple of little toys and that was it. So a lot of time was spent in my head making things up, fantasizing. I remember I used to throw the covers over my head to make it like it was a teepee, you know, of a tent from for an Indian thing. Right. And I would just kind of sit there and make believe until finally I fell asleep, you know, and, and that was it. So my life was very dull, quiet, boring as a child yeah. until I was around 10. My mother remarried then and we moved out of the apartment, moved to a house in a neighborhood with like, 12 boys in it. Well, you know, I didn't know how to interact with these kids. I mean, I was like, and so therefore, what was I? I was more hyper, I was more excited. They were, and they're like, what's wrong with this kid? Why, <laughs> wow. why can't he just engage with us? And eventually, over time, I did figure out how to adapt and engage yeah. and do that. But you know what? Over time, when I was about 13, I, I came across some of my stepfather's pornography, and he was an abusive man. He was verbally abusive. He was somewhat physically abusive, not terribly. He knew that punishing you by grounding you was the best way way to hurt you. Mm -hmm. And what he would do is every day give you this laundry list of chores that needed to be done. By this time, my sisters are out of the house. And And my brother is four years younger, so I'm about 12, 13, 14, and I have these chores. I, I mean, I remember there used to be weeds in the in the yard, and I have to go out there during the summer and pull these weeds out by hand. And he'd come out and he would infect them, and if they weren't good, you're grounded. Mm-hmm. It was always something. You're grounded. You're grounded. So with that, you know, again, I still didn't get to socialize the way I really wanted to. And finally, when I did start, I, like I said, I stumbled across this pornography, and what a stimulation. It was like, oh my God, this is stimulation like I've never experienced in my entire life. And with that, you know, as I started dating girls, what it became was one, you know what, this one isn't enough. 
I need another one. I need another one. And it was always about being sexual. It was always, I wanted, I, because I confused emotional intimacy for physical intimacy. I didn't know what emotional intimacy was. We weren't a close family. Nobody hugged or touched or kissed or anything like that. Nobody ever asked me about my emotion. Nobody ever challenged me to expand upon my horizon. Nobody ever looked at my report card. I mean, I was on my own. I was on my own from a very young age. Right. And I took that into my teen world, my adult world. Got married the first time when I was 23 because I thought, oh, she's different. I can be faithful to her. And that didn't work. It didn't happen. Got divorced. She wanted to stay. I said, no, there's something wrong with me. Met another woman. Oh, she's the one. Didn't work. The same thing. It was after that marriage that I finally said, you know what? I have to do something different. And that's what I went and got the help. But I was the unnoticed child. I was the unaffirmed child. I was the bored child. I was the emotionally voided child. I had those elements all within me that set me up for failure when it came to relationship. Mm -hmm. Oh, I could wow a woman. I could <laughs> woo a woman. But after that, I had nothing else. I had no other cards. Yeah. But you know what's so funny about somebody who has an avoidant attachment and, you know, he's afraid of abandonment? Nobody ever abandoned me except what happened when I was five years old. Mm. No woman ever left me. No woman ever rejected me. Mm. But why not? Why? Because I would re reject them first. I would leave them first. I never gave them a chance. So they call that, that's what we call sabotage, is that correct? Some kind of self-sabotage? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely sabotage. Yeah, yeah you're, you're, uh, you're, you're going to hurt them. And, that, and so you had that... Uh, and uh, just take a few seconds to describe you when you use the phrase, the, uh, the, the term uh, avoidant attachment. Can you just take a few seconds to tell us what that is? Yeah. Yes. An avoidant attachment is someone who, again, he's afraid or she's afraid of uh, being abandoned. So what they do is they put out a wall and that's the wall out here. And what I say is, hey, you know what? I'll love you, but you have to stay here. You can't come in here because if I let you here, I give you power. I give you the power to hurt me yeah. because you're too close. Or I give you the power to see what my parents saw when they abandoned me back then. You're going to see the ugliness within me and you're not going to like me anymore. So you know what? Stay right here. It'll be good. I'll love you from here. We'll be fine but you're not coming in. Now this wall, Gary, it never goes down. What it does, it comes in. So with my current wife, I brought that wall in here. And just like you, when you said you had your little issue with your wife a few weeks ago, right? I have issues too. So what'll happen then? My wall starts to move out. And I gotta, I gotta catch mm. it, or my wife catches it. And then I gotta yeah. start moving it back. But it kind of fluctuates. It never goes to where it was at one time, but it has that ability to move back and forth. Yeah. So you're talking about uh, growing in the capacity to be intimate with people, which is the way God created you to be. 
<laughs> but from your childhood, you learn to be to avoid intimacy, and so you go to other sources that. Uh, you know, I think you called it false intimacy, if I heard you correctly. All of that is built out in the new book that I just wrote, Why Men Struggle to Love. And it talks about the fact of, you know, in those early stages of childhood development, we're supposed to be taught, directed, and guided by our parents or our guardians on the different elements that are needed in order for us to emotionally engage and bond in a healthy way. For example, trust okay i need to learn to trust people how do you trust well i can trust uh, my mom and dad if i wander away to explore and i turn back and i see they're still there they haven't left me that's how i learned to trust i learned how to right. have empathy for other people that i could put myself in their position that i learn how to attune that i can pick up other people's emotions i can see something's off it's just not right here what's going on and there are many other things that we need to learn including let's go back to you sitting with emotional distress and if i'm not taught how to do that mm -hmm. i'm going to learn uh, what i'm going to come up with the one solution i'm not going to think about it and i'm going to distract myself so there are many things and when that doesn't happen what we become we become emotionally undeveloped Gary, I can't begin to tell you how many men in this world are emotionally undeveloped. And that doesn't mean they're dealing with an addictive behavior, although sometimes there is a correlation between the two. But what it means mm -hmm. is they don't fully understand what it takes to establish and, more importantly, maintain and mature a healthy emotional relationship. That's why the title of your book is so uh, intriguing and attractive, because it's it's those emotional issues that we're struggling with as men that keep us from the very thing we really most deeply long for is is to to love and to be loved. To to, to you know we we may romanticize it or sexualize it or empower it you know with some grandiose, but in reality it's just we're looking to be connected in deep ways with not only our spouse but our children our community, our church, our neighbors, you know, and, and all those that, that emotional immaturity you're talking about are, are basically, you know, f uh, forms of, you know, of inability and, and, or, or being unlearned, if that's the correct way of saying it, in, in um, developing ways to, to, to connect deeply. So I think your book is going to be really important for a lot of people. That's, uh, did that just come out? Yes, it came, it came out in January. And I got to tell you, there are more women buying that book than men are buying that book. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not surprised. You know, with yeah. that. But, yeah. because, but again, this book also piggybacks onto the Going Deeper book, and it's about the transformation of the heart. You know, I, I identified the 14 blind spots that men have that prevent them from being able to you know, build that emotional base, that emotional intimacy. And what we need to do is work on those to soften it because God created us as emotional beings, okay? To be in those types of relationships. And many men, you know, they're, the word that I use very often in that book is we're oblivious. We're oblivious to what our emotions should be. We don't feel. I can't tell you how many men I've dealt with, including 
leaders in the church who have said, you know what? I'm not even sure I know what love is. I don't even know if I know what love feels like. And there are, and like I said, I think it is a, it's an epidemic of a problem with men. We need to learn how to have balance in our life. We can be very masculine, but yet at the same time, we can learn how to connect with other people. What ways can spur that learning process to become more of that man who loves others well? Again, in my practice, what I noticed with the men who were coming in uh, to, to see me, nine out of 10 of them had what I call the low emotional IQ. So what that means is they could tell me if they're angry, if they're sad, if they're happy, if they're afraid, but they can't drill down and tell you what they really feel. Two, if they even can identify their true emotion, they have a very difficult time expressing it to other people. They can't share because they can't be vulnerable mm -hmm. because somewhere along the line, they were taught if you share your emotion, that is going to get you in trouble. Okay. People are going to ridicule you for it, or they're just going to blow you off. So therefore I learned to keep it all to myself. And then third, is that if someone comes to them with a want to share and open up about their emotions, it increases our anxiety. You know, there's the joke about how men, you know, what if a woman has a problem, what do we want to do? Want to solve it, right? We don't want to solve it so that we can demonstrate to them, hey, look how brilliant I am. That's not it. We want to solve it because we want the emotion to go away. We're trying to shut them down, right, right. and that's what we'll try to do. So that's what I saw. I saw these men who were emotionally avoided. And I went back and I did a lot more research in the area of childhood development and what was needed. And then when I looked and I saw what was going on in these men's lives, they were missing those stages. And sometimes not because they had bad parents. They're good parents. But their parents also were emotionally undeveloped and didn't know, or they were very distracted mm -hmm. and didn't know how to, or didn't have the time to deliver it. Then I took that and I started looking at people outside of the practice that, you know, were dealing with the addiction. And I was finding there we had a similar problem. So many men who just don't know how to truly emotionally bond and connect. And that's where it all came from. Wow. That's, you're talking about an incredible journey. I just, my, I'm so thrilled to hear you saying what you're saying because I just see this journey to, to coming from the, 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 the trauma and the, the brokenness of our childhood coming into healing, coming into knowledge, and then, but but not stopping there. Like you said earlier in the in our dialogue, uh, it's not just getting sober. God has so much more for us. It's like to thrive. To as a matter of fact, your counseling center is called Abundant Life, right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, yeah. So 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 you're you know just even the title of the work you do shows where you want to bring people. Not just okay. Oh, good. You you haven't done this in a long time. Now you're better, but you're you're thriving. You're alive, and that that journey uh, to become emotionally alive. And I think it's really sharp what you're saying too, that you have to like kind of sit with it, sit with the pain, sit with the difficulty. Uh, Cause that's not something we're used to in our society, this fast paced, pick up your phone, 
you know, like a lot of addiction now is with our phone, you know, just spending time in, on that. And so, you know, we're not, I was listening to a, a talk by, do you remember uh, the, the writer Dallas Willard? I don't know if you ever come across Dallas Willard or not, but I was listening to a podcast of, or an interview of his last night. And he was kind of talking about the same idea you're talking about, like, uh, you know, how we have a difficulty with sitting with our pain and our difficulty. And we want to just so quickly move on. And that's why he talked about the spiritual disciplines being so important. Like, you know, uh, fasting will bring up certain things in your heart that you didn't know how, how much you were living for your own emotional desires, um, you know, solitude. Uh, you know, and so, so some of these old school um, biblical uh, and uh, church history concepts can be a part of this. But then lastly, I would say it's also relational that um, if, if somebody comes into your office and they don't have the emotional IQ you're talking about, spending time with you hearing you speak into their heart, you know, you're saying things to them like, you know, you can make it, you can thrive, you can have abundant life. Uh, and you're dealing with the problems that are blocking that, you know, they start to believe they start. And, and so you're, you're kind of like, uh, I guess the word be, it would be attachment, right? You're, you're kind of almost attaching to them and they may have missed that all along. And so they have this. So, you know, I, I think that's, that's brilliant. It's, uh, it's interesting because many, many men, as you could imagine, they have father wounds and, not even realizing it, I serve almost as a surrogate father at times for people, you know, not realizing. But I've had many people who, when they first come in, you know, they're like, I just can't see how this is going to work. What, how's, how's it going to work? I mean, does anybody ever get better? And I, I, I go, you're looking at them. <laughs> you're looking at the guy. Yeah. I, I am your Isn't number one case wow. study. Yeah. For all of this, because everything that you're going to learn yeah. is going to be based on what you know, it's God inspired and what He taught me and how He put me in this position to do this. I never wanted to be an author. You're going to write. I was a journalist, but I wasn't going to be in write books. And then who thought I was going to write books about sex addiction mm -hmm. and emotionally, you know, avoiding uh, emotionally undeveloped men. You know, I didn't realize, who knows, I'm going to go out and speak to people, you know, on a regular basis on college campuses and such. But it was, that wasn't part of all of this. It was supposed to be, I'm going to be a counselor. I'm going to sit in an office and, you know, share people. But again, you know what, I, as we most, as most of us are, we're oblivious to what God's plan really is. And it was just an amazing plan. It's been a, it's been a, I got to tell you, it's been a ride. It's been a heck of a ride. Yeah, I can tell from the joy you have. You got a, you got a sharp mind and a great heart. And uh, I wish I lived closer to you to get to know you. I would love to spend some time one on one with you, that, uh, or or be in a men's group with you or something. But uh, uh, so, uh, Dr. Eddie Caparucci, uh, you have uh, um, abundant light counseling, and they can connect with you. We'll put all your, your contacts in uh, in uh, what we call our show notes. Uh, so they can check okay. you out uh, online. Also, notice last uh, couple of days I've been looking online at uh, on on YouTube. You have several uh, talks on there and some really key ones, some very important things. Not only on the issues we talked about today, but you have a, a really good uh, YouTube uh, conversation. Like I say, I think it's like a webinar where you're dealing with uh, yeah. <laughs> um, betrayal and how uh, you know if 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 you know maybe a spouse catches their spouse in pornography or in uh, uh, you know in uh, adultery. Uh, you know how to deal with that, and those are those are issues. Unfortunately, a lot of people are having to having to work through that. So I recommend all this. And then your books, uh, you have three books. Is that correct? I do. I have three. Uh, one is uh, removing your shame label, 
how to uh, learning to break from shame and feel God's love, uh, going deeper, how the inner child impacts your sexual addiction, and now the latest book, uh, Why Men Struggle to, to, to Love, Overcoming Relational Blind Spots. Good, good. Well, each one of those could speak to different issues of the things you've talked about today. So, well, thank you, Doctor, for taking the time to be with us today. We're really honored to have you and, and just uh, thrilled with what you brought to our attention today. Thank you. Well, thank you and God bless you. God bless you too. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ.